much older than me. Much, much older. She didn't remember that I would have the microphone last. Um, you know, usually I'm over at the plaza on Sunday mornings, and they let me out this week. Got a little promotion, so I'm really excited to be here with you. It's been a while. Let's pray. God, thanks for this place and these people and this opportunity to know you and to hear about you and to connect with others. It's my prayer today that every one of us would leave with just a reminder of who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to tell you a little bit about my summer. We need to get caught up because it's been a while. I went on a trip in May to the UK, and this was going to be an epic trip. I was going to hike from the Irish Sea to the North Sea, 200 miles with a couple of friends. It's called the Coast to Coast Trail. And when I looked it up on TripAdvisor, the scenery is supposed to be beautiful. There's mountains and there's valleys and there's rocks and there's like 7 million sheep. And there's, it's just a gorgeous part of the world. And so I was ready. And we started off in a little town called St. Bees. And on the second day, we got to a hostel in the middle of nowhere called the North, no, Black Sail Youth Hostel. And I call it the, the Black Death Youth Hostel because here's the deal. We were walking um, up to 20 miles a day. We each had a 35-pound pack. And these beautiful hills that I had read so much about um, were actually, I think, like mountains. They were over 2,000 feet. They were enormous and steep, and they were full of rocks, like big rocks all over the place. So you couldn't just walk. You had to be climbing on stuff. I almost fell off a cliff. Um, there were streams and cliffs and bogs where you sank up to your ankle in mud. It was just, you know, not awesome. So <laughs> by the time we reached this beautiful hostel, I was actually hallucinating. And I'm not making this up because what kept happening, this is the kind of thing that happens on hikes, is you get to the top of a big hill and you think, oh, I'm at the top. And you get over and it's like, oh, no, I'm not. It's a ridge, and there's another, seven times sometimes we would think we were at the top and we'd have to climb another one. So I was so tired, and our, Grace had the GPS, and she would say, okay, it looks like it's a mile to the Black Death Youth Hostel. That's what I heard. And, um, and I would be like, oh, I can see it there in the distance. And then we were like, we can make it. Except when I got there, it wasn't there. It was like a big rock. So then she would be like, oh, I was off a little bit. I think it's another mile and a half. <laughs> I was like, I can't do a mile and a half. And so we would walk, and I would be like, oh, I see a roof off in the distance, except there was no roof. And I thought, I am losing my mind. I'm hallucinating up here in the middle of nowhere. So finally, we reached this Black Death Youth Hostel. And there's no restaurant, and it's 40 degrees with outdoor toilets. And we were happy to heat up our packages of mashed potatoes and lentils and just literally gag them down. So, but, it, you know, I actually have a little PTSD when I see that picture. So we come out, we come out of this. I didn't know what happened when we came out. It's kind of, you look all directions. So this is what happens when you come out. That's the hostel. And then you come out, and we were walking that way. 
And I literally looked, is there any way out of here besides over another hill? I did not see another way, and I did not want to walk anymore. So here's how I felt. And this wasn't the kind of funny, you know, vacation picture where you say, hey, lay on the ground and we'll take a picture of you. This was like I was laying on the ground and they took a picture of me. I literally could not move. And we still had half a day of climbing to go. We actually finished in the dark on this day. It was very long. So I was whining. I, I'm just going to say it. And I'm, I'm kind of whining still. But here's the serious part about what was happening. I'm juvenile diabetic. And I wear a pump and a glucose sensor that stick to me. And these are very important. I'm kind of a robot a little bit. These are very important parts of of me that have to keep me alive. And they stick on with really, really sticky tape. And they kept falling off on this trip. And so I was, one time I was climbing and I, I just could not go one more step and I kept checking my sensor and it's like, it says I'm fine, it says I'm fine, so I'm gonna, and then it said, oh, I said, now it says I'm low and so I started eating food. Well, it turns out the stupid thing had fallen out and I, my blood sugar was 400. So this is what was happening, I'm going from 40 to 400, but I don't know it. And you can't, you can't stick things on you when you're freezing to death and sweating at the same time. They will not stay. So I was going through, and then I thought, I'm going to run out of these things because I'm changing them every five minutes. So it was not good. Um, here's the other problem I had, and I'm kind of dumb because you don't go on a 200-mile hike unless you're, like, ready, right? Well, I had this very slight hip muscle pull. It's called your TFL. And I didn't realize that, I, you know, I thought I was okay, but I didn't realize that when you have a hip muscle pull, you walk unevenly, which has the ability to compromise the rest of your body. And so by the end of the second day, no, by the morning of the second day, my um, knee was hurting. And so it got so that I couldn't walk down hills. Now, you saw the hills. If you walk up them, then you have to walk down. And so I started walking like this. Literally, by the end of the second day, I was walking like this. And my friends, they love me. I think they wanted to kill me. They were very gracious, but I just couldn't. So I, they said, just try, try another day. And so I said, I'll try another day and tried to get some sleep. And so um, then I got up the next day and I thought, I'm limping. I can't eat. I'm gagging. I really think the reason I can't eat is because my body was saying, let's just die out here. Because they, they were trying to make me eat. And it's like, I can't eat. This is just the grossest thing ever. And all these parts of me were falling off. And I staggered through day three because I said I would try. And then at the next morning, on the fourth morning, I got into a taxi, a bus, and two trains and got back to London. And then I was in the underground lines in London. Now, mind you, my friends, when they knew I was leaving, they said, hey, take all this stuff with you because then we'll have lighter packs. So I was like, thanks, gals. So now I had a 50-pound pack and I get to the underground, and I don't know where I'm going because I had made arrangements with the, with the Black Death Youth Hostel to go to one in London, and I couldn't find the hostel, and my phone doesn't work because I didn't have data, and my credit card wouldn't work in the underground machines, and I was limping, and I had a 50-pound pack, and when I would turn around, I would hit people, and this was rush hour, so I was the person. You know the person that you, don't, that you wish they would die and go away? That, that was me. And here's the thing about that. I am not that person, like, right? I'm not a failure, and I'm not the slow person that's annoying everybody. I might annoy people, but it's not because I'm slow. So I was, I was just a mess. So I finally made it home the next day, and then I got the flu, um, the, the legitimate flu, the kind I didn't have a shot for, 
And so I get home and I look in the mirror, I have the flu, and I thought, I, I don't like this version of me. I'm old and weak and useless and I'm a failure and I'm sick and this isn't who I want to be and it's who I've never been and I really hate this. So now I'm coming to the part of the story where I tell you why I'm sharing my hiking horror story with you because um, I know you're wondering, other than just cathartic for me. So when I got home... And I got sick, and then I got better, and then I was like, I think I can eat now. So my husband and I went out to dinner, and here's the thing that happened. Oh, wait, I have to tell you first about the low. First, there's a dot at the bottom. Okay, so this is a chart that's going to tell you how I was doing. So you see that line in the middle? That's like where we, when we're emotionally healthy, this is where we live. This is where my husband has lived for over 50 years. So that's him. I'm, I'm the dot. I get home, and I'm the dot, right? Because I got nothing. I'm weak and useless and old and ill, and I'm a failure. But when we went out to dinner, I got carded. <laughs> so then I was like, I'm okay. See, I'm okay. All of my problems are solved. This is so good. I had a couple bad weeks, but now I'm 20. So no kidding. So, but on a serious note, I have had this conflict ongoing in my family for a year and I kind of self-selected as the person who was going to resolve it. And so I had spent many months and many phone calls trying to help some of my extended family understand the other's perspective. And I finally realized this summer in June, I cannot fix this. I cannot fix this. And I, it really put me down because I have a very close extended family. And this has been very difficult. And so that kind of brought me down this summer. And that was a really hard time and continues to be. But then... What happened was my friend and I did a prank on some friends because I'm really immature because um, I'm 20. So we did a prank on some friends and we didn't get caught, but the neighbors saw us. And so they described us to our friends and they said it was a young girl with dreads. And I was like, score, I'm up. <laughs> so I know you're seeing a theme and we're going to talk about that. So... Then I had a little conflict with a friend that kind of hurt my feelings, and I couldn't get it resolved right away, and that kind of thing drives me crazy. So that kind of brought me down in the end of June. I just didn't know what to do about it, and so I was down. But then, right after that, I was teaching a class at the lift, and one of the kids said that they thought I was in my 20s. Score! The problem is that I don't know if it's a compliment, because it could have just been about my maturity level, but I'm going to take it as a win. So... Then, as happens every summer, we had less people coming at the lift. A lot of our programs don't happen in the summer, so it feels like everything's dying, and I get this idea every, every summer that we're, it's going to die and everything's horrible. And so I was kind of down about that. But then we found out in July we got a $40,000 general operating grant from a foundation. So we're up. I know. We're very grateful. But then, even though we had now some resources and less concern about finances, I realized that every single person on the staff, including me, was just pretty much burnt out. We were all looking at, at Target for new employment. And it was just a really hard time because you need a lot of energy to work with people and with at-risk kids. And so we were kind of tired of that. But then we visited our daughter, Hadley, in Denver. That's where she lives now. And one of her coworkers thought I was her sister. Yes! I know, it's pathetic. So, but then as Mary said last Saturday, we were robbed at the lift. It's the second time in the last couple of years, and they took our, both times, some laptops and bashed in a file cabinet and bashed in some doors, and 
it's not so much the stuff because it's just stuff. Um, it's that we're trying to do something good in the neighborhood and this is what we get. And it kind of makes you want to say, I'm going to go work at Target. So pretty down right there. This was my summer. I'm just bringing it up to date. This was my summer through last weekend. And you may have noticed, possibly, I'm not sure, that all of the things, most of the things that brought me up were just incredibly shallow, right? I mean, let's just face it. That's just ridiculous. So I will give a confession that some of you can relate to and some of you will think is funny, but I'm going to be 50 in a couple months. And so I'm still alive. I'm still walking. And the thing is that when you go 50 or when you're about to be 50, you're kind of, you kind of go crazy. Like, and this is so I'm not, I don't usually live on this up and down and up and down roller coaster. That's not my sort of usual way of dealing with the ups and downs. I might not be Dave and being, you know, just that total steady line, but I'm not usually a crazy person. And I, I am a crazy person. So why am I a crazy person? Because when you get to a certain age, you start to, to think about your own mortality, that you're not going to be here forever, and have I done anything with my life? And you also look around you at a culture that values beauty and youth and speed, and you think, I'm pretty much going to be irrelevant in a minute. And so here's what happens. I'm living in dread of being 50, and someone calls me a young girl, and I'm like, I'm relevant, yeah! And then I say I've kept my mortality at bay. I can stick around a little longer. I'm relevant. Then I get carded, and then someone thinks I'm Hadley's sister, and I really think life is good. Those are the ups and downs. And I know we all have times like this. Maybe you're going to be 30, and that's difficult for you, in which case, that's ridiculous. (laughs) So you know it is. You know it is. So your phase of life might be one of the things you're worried about. One of them might be your looks or your brains or your capacity or your abilities or your job. And all of these things, I brought a little fancy box here with me, all of these things become mirrors that you look into. So I came home from my trip and I looked in the mirror and I was like, ah, I'll tell you why. Because the mirror that I was looking into was this one that's 18 times magnified. You see? And it's like, I'm just going to set this thing aside. So then I try this mirror. Am I okay? And then I go, nope, still. And then I found this one. This made me so happy. I found this little mirror because it hardly shows anything at all. See, it's just a little thing. So I keep this one with me all the time. Um, So, but seriously, how about the Instagram mirror? How many likes did I get on Instagram? 20? All right, I'm okay. One, oh, that I need a different mirror. Am I doing well in school? Am I doing well at work? Do I have friends? I don't know. I'm trying to find a mirror that, oh, this is a pretty mirror. This one, the mirror is pretty. I'm going to go back to this one. So... You see how we do this? Whatever your thing is, it becomes a mirror that reflects back to you your value, or at least that's the way sometimes that we feel about it. And whatever it is, it kind of brings you up and down. You have your own little roller coaster. So we become at the mercy of everything out there. And there are things that we have no control over, and they kind of get in charge of how we're doing emotionally. We keep looking into these mirrors to find one that says we are okay. And it's just exhausting. It takes up so much energy to try to go into every day saying, what, who can tell me what can say that I'm okay? I I need a lot of things to say I'm okay right now. And which mirror, I was asking, has the power to tell me I do not have one foot in the grave? That was my question. And it turned out to be this really tiny one. So here's what happens when we look into these mirrors for identity 
is that it impacts all of our other relationships. Because you cannot listen well, you cannot focus on others when you're, when you're just obsessing about which mirror to look in to tell you, okay, when you're, we're trying to find the right mirror. So my, my children are adults, and my son Connor will call and say, hey, I need to process something with you. Okay, just a minute. I'll talk to you as soon as I figure out if I'm okay, because, you know, I'm getting old. So, you know, I have a lot of problems myself. So this is what happens. Connor's like, what? Um, I got nothing for him, because it's all about me. And this is what happens in our culture is we, we start thinking, we start obsessing about what the messages are that we're getting because we're looking in the wrong places. And then I can't be there for Connor. I can't have compassion for my friends. I can't be fully present with anyone because I have to find out that I'm okay. So I have some good news, which is that, and you know this, there's a better way to live than this way. And you know, I used to know this a year ago when I was not so close to death. Um... <laughs> became harder this summer. So this is where my favorite verse from Ephesians come in, comes in, and I will read it. For, the reason, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. There's still ruins there that people go through. It was a real community of people, and Paul is really saying to them, this is my prayer for you. This is my hope for you, my desire, that you will find this power in Christ, this love of Christ, that you'll be strengthened in your inner beings. And he says this to us today just as well. Here are the parts that I think really stand out in this passage. He prays that they'll be strengthened in their inner beings with power through his spirit. He prays that they will be rooted and grounded in love. He prays that they will have power to comprehend the love of God. He prays that they will be filled with all the fullness of God. And he reminds them that God's power is at work in each one of them. So in Christ, we are strong, and we are loved, and we are rooted, and grounded, and full, and God's power is at work within us. Does this describe a reality where we're always looking in this world for a mirror that tells us that we're okay? Or does it describe something just a little bit more substantive than that? I think it does a little bit better than that. Does, not, but does my life reflect this reality? Does the roller coaster that I was on this summer reflect the reality that Paul is speaking to here? Don't judge me. I'm just asking the question rhetorically. So I will tell you that during this roller coaster ride this summer, it was not the mirror I was looking into. I was not looking into Paul's words to say, I'm defined by the love of Christ. I was looking into instead this mirror, which um, tells me that I'm 50, and this mirror that tells me I'm just ridiculous, and a whole bunch of mirrors that were not helpful. I wasn't looking into the mirror that says I can be filled with all the fullness of God, that God's power is at work within me. So I'm going to tell you that when we refuse to live on this roller coaster, 
when we refuse to look at that, those mirrors in that box to define us, when we start looking into Paul's words in Ephesians and really the whole New Testament, we have a couple of things that are really significant that can happen in our lives. And the first one is that we're able to receive and give love. This is where we get our identity from the love that Christ has for us. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being excited when you're called a young girl. I think it's worth throwing a party over. Um, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with compliments or being proud of accomplishments. These are all good things. They become a problem when that's what we're going to to define us. So if, if I'm looking at the words of Paul in Ephesians and I'm getting my definition there and I'm full and I'm powerful and I'm rooted and I'm grounded, then when something good happens, I can just say, cool. And when something bad happens, I can say, I'm all right. Because our stability is coming from somewhere else, not from all of the stuff around us that's trying to reflect back the values of a culture that I just don't identify with, except in a really bad summer. So these things are good, but they don't define us because we are already defined by the words of Paul. We're grounded in love. We carry the image of God. And that's so much better than Instagram. Do you ever go on Instagram and you're like, oh, yay, I got... 20 likes, I'm a good person. And then you go on and you're like, oh, I got one like, so got not, nothing going on there. We know that's silly, but really a lot of us use social media to help us feel good about things. And a lot of us pay more attention to social media, frankly, than just about anything else. And it's just not going to give you the things that we can get when we embrace the love of God as our identity. The verse actually says we need power to comprehend this love. Now, usually when someone loves us or when we've been married for a while, we understand that love. We know what we can rely on. I know that my husband Dave loves me, but I know that when I leave the cabinet doors open in the kitchen for the, you know, four millionth time and he bangs his head on him, there might just be a little waning, just a little bit. But the power of Christ that is so deep and so long and so wide and so high that we, can't, we hardly have the power to comprehend it. That is a different kind of love. That is the love that defines us. And that's a mirror worth looking into, right? As we start to receive this love, it's a healing love. It can, it can even conquer something that maybe some of you struggle with at times, and that is looking into the mirror of shame. And the mirror of shame is broken, and it distorts reality, and it's ugly, and it reflects back to us every fear that we have and every judgment that we put on ourselves and every judgment that others put on us or that we imagine they put on us. This mirror is powerful, but it's wrong and it's broken. Shame is defined by Brene Brown in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And when I look in this mirror, I'm deeply flawed, and I feel unworthy. Shame is different than guilt, because guilt says, I did a bad thing. It can be helpful. I probably shouldn't do that again. Shame says, I am bad. I am a bad person. It's not just about what I do, it's about who I am. And that is painful. We all have shame, but we're afraid to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the bigger it gets. And it's a very isolating experience. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It feeds on secrecy and judgment. And it's a mirror that we only look into when we're alone. But here's what happens. We don't want to be alone because this thing's dogging us all the time. So I'm going to go to every party. I'm going to go everywhere. I'm never going to stay home. I'm going to be the most active person in the world. I'm going to go to every class. I'm going to work 50 hours a day. 
I'm going to stay so busy because what happens when we get alone is this is what we have. We have our shame and we hold on to it for dear life. And we don't ever want to be in that place where we have to look in the mirror, so we just run around letting it chase us all the time. This is why it's really important to understand how powerful the love of God is. The only thing that can conquer shame is love from Christ and from Christ's love flowing through others. When we live in shame, it's not just us that suffers, it's everyone around us. Because as a parent, if you're living in shame and you live with the, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, that's the mirror you reflect on your children and your friends and your spouse. If this is the mirror you're holding, that's the mirror everybody sees. And so we send messages that we don't even know we're sending that says to others around us, and you're bad too. When we receive the love of God, really receive it and conquer the shame, then we have something that's so powerful to offer those around us. We can help them pry this mirror out of their hands and look into the mirror in Ephesians that says something completely different. The power of saying I love you to someone and the power of saying you are okay to someone and the power of getting rid of the shame mirror. This is just huge and this is what we're offered. It's a reality. We replace that ugly message with a vision of the fullness of God, the love of Christ his power at work within us to accomplish more even than we can ask or imagine. Now, I work with kids who carry so much shame. And a lot of times they disappear from the lift for a while because they got caught doing something they shouldn't or they feel horrible about themselves or they made a big mistake and they don't want to admit it. And so they just disappear. And we don't see them for a while, but inevitably they eventually come back to us. And what we say to them when they stand in front of us in that moment makes every bit of difference to them. Because what the shame mirror says is, what, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Or why did you disappear? Do you not care about us? And we just drive that shame deeper. But if we can look in their eyes and say, you are loved, you are okay, regardless. Several years ago, one of our kids got his girlfriend pregnant and they sat down to tell her parents, and her parents just shamed him. They said, what were you thinking of, and how are you going to support this kid on your stupid job? And you're just making one bad choice after another. And I saw him after he just finished this conversation, and he was shaking, and he was crying, and he was just ripped to shreds. And I had an opportunity in that moment to be the voice of Jesus in front of him and say, you are loved, you are okay. And in fact, despite this, God can still accomplish through you more than you could ever ask or imagine. It's not hopeless. So the first thing that looking into the correct mirror does is it helps us receive love and conquer shame and then have the ability to give love to others. The second thing when we start looking in the right mirror is we become rooted and we tell our young people at the lift that they need to find some trees in their lives. Find some adults who are trees. And trees, this is a, a concept that Brene Brown also uses, these trees are rooted and flexible. So when something has deep roots, it's not easy to pull it out of the ground. And when something's flexible, it's not easily broken. So I was at Afton State Park camping last weekend against my will, but I was there. And... <laughs> 
There's lots of trees, and the trees were just beautiful because we had a great wind, and the trees were going back and forth and back and forth, and none of them broke, and none of them were uprooted. And I think this is just a beautiful metaphor because in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, he wants them to be rooted in love. And it is this love that then makes us flexible. So here's an example. A while back, a young person at the lift came to talk to me about her weed habit. It's pot to some of you, and there's a few other words for it. But as a flexible tree, I did not freak out and judge or refuse to engage until she agreed to stop this habit. But as a rooted tree, I didn't ask her to roll me a joint, right? So, right? If I wasn't flexible, I would have judged and shamed and driven her further away and given her the mirror called shame. But if I wasn't rooted, then I might have just said, yep, let's go. And so you got to have that balance. And in these difficult moments with ourselves and others, the calling of Christ and the power of Christ is that everything we do flows out of the love of God rather than how we happen to be feeling about ourselves at the moment or what troubles have been brought to us. We have that rootedness in the love of God. And what a tree does is it takes whatever mirror is in the hands of a struggling person. And with young people, there are a lot of mirrors out there. And we set them aside and we replace it with a mirror that reflects the love of God. And that's not always with words. There's lots of different ways to reflect this love. But that's the healing love. That's the healing power. So we decide to look into this love of God for our identity and we learn to receive it, we learn to conquer shame, and we learn to love others and then we realize that our roots are going down deep. These are the advantages of setting aside these mirrors and picking up a different one. So the question is, what do we do about this? Because there is no three-step process to get us to this place because this, my friends, is life. We will never in this lifetime fully comprehend God's love. We will never be fully strong in our inner beings. Our roots will never be perfect, and we will not be completely filled in this lifetime with the fullness of God. We will always be tempted by other mirrors. We will always go back to this box at times. And so it's the journey. And it's not a bad thing that we're going to be tempted by this. It's just the way it is in our broken world. And so the idea is to move further and further down this road toward the love of God, toward these realities that Paul talks about. As we get older, we do that and we bring others along with us. We all get off the roller coaster. We all set aside the mirrors that use the broken world around us to try to reflect our value. And we look in this other mirror. So here's what happens on Sundays a lot of times. Somebody gives three steps to whatever and I get kind of cynical when I'm listening to that because I think that is just not the way growth and transformation works. There is no three steps. By Wednesday, you too can be healed if you do these three things. It's just not the way humans are. Not that God can't heal us in amazing ways, but there's no quick three steps. A lot of times by Monday, no one can even remember the exciting thing they heard the day before. And so we've got to think more deeply about these things. The other thing that happens is you go into a message and someone points out this incredible problem with humanity and we all look in these wrong mirrors and then they say, have a good week. And then I, I get a little judgmental because you just identified a problem, but you gave people nothing. So this puts me in an awkward position because if I give you three steps, then I look really trite and shallow. And if I don't give you any steps, then I look like an idiot. So I was pondering this week, what is it that we do about this? Um, So I'm going to leave you with four thoughts. And the idea is just to help you figure out where you are and where you need to go. So the first thought I'll leave you with is, if you cannot put down this mirror called shame, 
You need to find friends or a counselor who will pry it out of your hands and help you let it go. Shame is not helpful. It's not Jesus. It's not love. It keeps you from even receiving or giving love. And you need to stop beating yourself up no matter what you have done. You are not the first person who did it, and the forgiveness is available, and the love is there, and you need to put down this ugly, broken, cracked mirror for good. Be done. I've heard it said before that some people in, in, on their spiritual journey, and they're told to give their bag of garbage to Jesus, and so they sneak up and they put it down in front of Jesus, and then they go back, and then when they think no one's looking, they crawl back and pick it up again. And this is kind of a good metaphor for what we do, because really, I talked to a guy after one of the services who, at the age of five and on for a few years, was sexually molested, and he's now like in his 60s, and that is still there. It is so powerful when we experience trauma and when shame enters in. And so we need to understand that it's a journey and a process to let it go. Find people who will help you let it go. The second thing is to think about your rootedness and flexibility. You're probably good at one or the other. Which one are you good at? Well, good job, but work on the other one, right? So you want to be the person who doesn't judge the kid harshly, and you want to be the person who doesn't smoke with him. We want to be in the middle of those two extremes. Your kids and your friends and yourself will thank you if you can find a place of both rootedness and flexibility. And the hint is that it's found in love. And remember that sometimes you are a tree and sometimes you need a tree. The third thing, amen. The third thing is to really think about what mirrors you're looking into. And generally it goes along with the voices in your head. Does anyone besides me have voices in your head? When I teach our kids uh, a life skills class, we help them identify what they're hearing in their head And it's amazing how many, not just kids, but people just don't realize that all the day long you're getting messages. Some of the messages come from the world around us, the billboards and the magazines. They come from our friends. It comes from these things that happened in the past that are related to shame. They come from everywhere, and it's pretty ongoing. And you might be walking around with a voice that's telling you you're an idiot and you'll never amount to nothing and not even really know. You haven't identified that voice and said, get out, because that is not true. So figure out what mirrors you're looking into. Sometimes you figure out those mirrors by listening to the voices in your head. Are you hearing the judgmental words of a very shallow culture? Is your own voice giving you grace or criticizing you? Can you even recognize the voice of Jesus in the midst of all of these voices in your head? So start to sort those out. And then the fourth thing is to walk with others. Others who will tell you when you need to put down that mirror. Others who will pry that mirror out of your sweaty hands. Now, the Cultivate classes, for example, they're not going to solve all of your problems, but there's classes on healing and forgiveness and healthy relationships. And besides learning those things, you're also going to be sitting in chairs next to other people who are saying, let's go this way. Let's look in the right mirror. Let's identify the voices that are not the voices of love. And that's a powerful thing. This is not a journey that you can do alone. So my four thoughts, again are find friends who can help you let go of shame that you're carrying. Think about whether you're more rooted or more flexible and work on the other one. Think about the mirrors you're looking into and the voices that go along with that. And then find some others to walk with on this journey. It's a hard journey. There's no easy answers. And what Paul is really praying for here in Ephesians is freedom. 
and life. And it's freedom and life that come from the fullness of God, from being strengthened in your inner being, from being rooted and grounded, from understanding the power that is at work within you. And this is what I want to pray for you today. God, I bow before you and I pray that according to your riches and glory, every person here may be strengthened in her or his inner being with power through your spirit. I pray that Christ would dwell in each heart through faith as we all become rooted and grounded in your love. I pray that every person here, especially those living under shame, will have the power to understand the breadth and length and height and depth of your love and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. May they be filled with all the fullness of God and know it. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. There's prayer people up at the front if you need it. Have a great day.